You're listening to Rounding at Rush, a Rush University Medical Center podcast that features the latest clinical advances, research, and innovations. I'm your host, Dan Dean. Today, we're going to talk about MR-guided focused ultrasound, a new application of ultrasound technology that's being used in the treatment of essential and Parkinsonian tremor. I'm joined by Dr. Sapir Sani, a neurosurgeon at Rush University Medical Center and an associate professor of neurosurgery at Rush Medical College. Among his many clinical interests, Dr. Sani focuses on deep brain stimulation, Parkinson's disease, essential tremor, and vagal nerve stimulation. Dr. Sani, thank you so much for coming on the show today. The pleasure is mine. Just to kind of get us started here, can you give us an overview of what focused ultrasound is and then the conditions that it's designed to treat? Focused ultrasound is, in its core, emerging of two technologies. One is an application that uses ultrasound frequency, which are basically sound waves, to penetrate the scalp and skull and create a very small but precise lesion in a very deep location in the brain. This is paired with the ability to see that lesion being made by doing live MRI at the same time. So, in essence, we have MRI guidance of making a very small and precise lesion in a specific location of the brain that a surgeon can predetermine using focused ultrasound beams that all merge into that spot. Okay, sounds good. And how long has this technology been available? You know, uh, focused ultrasound has been around for a long time. However, the ability to harvest and beam all those ultrasounds into a specific location through an incisionless window such that we don't have to cut on skin um, or use any other invasive modality is relatively new, probably been around for about 10 years or less. Now, in addition, the ability to use this technology inside the MRI machine such that everything is MRI compatible and we can see what we're doing inside the brain without actually having to open the head is really new. I would say within the last seven to eight years is when we is the timeline where we, we have been able to do this successfully in humans with very good results. So who would be an ideal candidate to receive focused ultrasound? That's a great question because currently there are a number of different issues uh, or should I say disease processes that we are looking to treat with MRI-guided focused ultrasound. But as we sit here and speak today, the Food and Drug Administration has uh, provided approval for indication of tremor. This includes patients who have a diagnosis of essential tremor, meaning they have shakiness of of either the upper or lower extremity, head or neck, or they have Parkinson's disease that's determined to be what we call tremor dominant. Means they have a diagnosis of Parkinson's disease, but the main symptom is tremors rather than some of the other issues. An ideal patient is someone who has one of these diagnoses and the problem of tremor is severe enough that it really interferes with day-to-day activities. For example, holding a cup of coffee, or not being able to write legibly anymore, buttoning the buttons or brushing teeth, combing, uh, using a key to lock unlock or cooking. 
uh, when these activities start to become affected, despite being on medication, despite trying various sorts of medical uh, treatment, then consideration should be given to something like MRI-guided focus ultrasound because it can dramatically reduce or eliminate those tremors. So when you use the focus ultrasound, can a patient be treated bilaterally or is it only one side of the body? That's another very good question. Currently, the Food and Drug Administration has only allowed us to treat what we call unilaterally, meaning one side of the brain, which in turn uh, helps treat the tremors on the opposite side of the body, since everything is crisscrossed in terms of brain and body. However, currently there are clinical trials underway, both outside and in the United States, uh, to get us on path to having bilateral treatments approved so that both sides can be treated, hopefully within the next one to two years at the latest. All right. So, you know, you talked about uh, a person's quality of life being affected by tremors. At what point in the process should that patient consider getting focused ultrasound for, for treatment of those tremors? And, and if they do get it, what would be the, the benefits that they would incur by having that procedure? If someone has the diagnosis of essential tremor or tremor-dominant Parkinson's disease and they're under the care of a neurologist and they have been under medication treatment um, with maybe some initial relief but really not effective control of the tremors despite being on an optimal dose of the medication or having tried two medications or more, they, this is a good consideration. In particular, if those tremors are interfering with a day-to-day life. One of the main issues that I see is because the tremors tend to, for lack of a better word, creep up, meaning they slowly get worse over the course of months and years, um, patients who suffer tend to curb their lifestyle around the tremor in a very slow fashion so that it is almost unnoticeable. So they start going out less because of the social uh, stigma associated with tremors. They start avoiding friends. They start avoiding social settings. Um, They start to do less and less activities that require fine motor control. Uh, They migrate from writing to typing with a single finger and and they stop typing altogether. In today's world, uh, one of the things that we see is patients who tell their loved ones and friends, oh, I can't text anymore. And so don't text me, I won't be able to respond, or they use a voice-assisted device because their hands and fingers aren't steady enough. So this is sort of the, the, the um, I would say, the barrier uh, that once the patient crosses, strong consideration should be given to MRI-guided focus ultrasound. Now, when if someone is considering this treatment, the main question at this point in time, because we have only approval for one-sided treatment, is whether or not eliminating or significantly reducing tremors on one side, and usually this the dominant side, uh, the dominant hand, uh, will significantly change the quality of life. And that's a question that a patient can start to think about, discuss with their surgeon uh, in, a, in a meeting to determine the, co- the risk to benefit ratio. If someone decides to go through MRI-guided focus ultrasound, a reasonable expectation is a, at least 60 to 80%, if not higher, reduction in their tremor in the, on the treated side. That's a reasonable expectation to have. Wow, that's significant improvement. I agree. 
So you talked about how when they get tremor, they you say curve their lifestyle around the debilitating effects of it. How much does mental health play into this? Do they get progressively depressed because their lifestyle is curbed? And then when they get this procedure, do you find that their mental health improves because they're now able to regain a better quality of life? No, I, I, that's a great question. And I, I, it's uh, something that I can respond to by looking at all my own personal experience with these with patients that I have treated over the years. Um, there is certainly a general um, level of not acceptance, but um, almost acquiescence with the fact that these tremors um, have created a new life uh, over the course of years in, in many patients that is not the life that they used to live. And uh, by that virtue, the patients that I, by the time I see them for consultation uh, in consideration for MRI-guided focus ultrasound um, are usually uh, depressed which we refer to as situational depression, which is different than general depression, meaning they're, they're just down, down and gloomy because of the situation, meaning the tremors and the quality of life decline that they have suffered. Interestingly enough, um, you know, as humans, I think we tend to uh, be resilient and make do with what we have a lot of times um, because we create the real, accept the realities that we're in. But I, you know, I've noticed that a lot of times the significant others who accompany my patients are much more vocal about seeing their loved ones decline in terms of mental health, in terms of happiness over the course of years. Uh, and it, that's probably the unspoken part of uh, the disease that, uh, that, that gets kind of brushed under the rug in many circumstances. Mm-hmm. So I, I want to go back to something you said earlier about the newness of using focus ultrasound in this manner to treat tremor. What is the distinguishing feature of this treatment as opposed to treatments that have been used in the past to treat central and Parkinsonian tremor? Yes, great question. You know, uh, the best way to describe it is what really was a paradigm shift with this treatment was the way it's delivered. You literally can come in lay on an MRI table for one to two hours, get the treatment, and go home. And there's immediate reduction of tremors as soon as you get off the table. Now, the way this has come to be is, in truth, a combination of relatively old technologies by today's standards uh, that have been very cleverly put together. Ultrasound has been around for decades. However, being able to focus a thousand ultrasound beams on a helmet into a very specific location in the brain that is a new way of using or harvesting ultrasound energy. Being able to do that while you have a patient laying inside an MRI bore and you're shooting live MRI scans so you can continuously see what you're doing, again, it's a reinvention of an old way of doing things. And when you put these things together, is to me, the paradigm shift that, that can allow someone the opportunity to have this really life-changing treatment without having to have any anesthesia without having to have a single incision or a single knife put on them. Nothing. You literally walk in and walk out. It's a paradigm shift. I mean, in the neurosurgical realm, in my profession, uh, to be able to offer a treatment to a patient without using a knife is a first. This is something that I have never been able to offer a patient. So it's pretty fantastic. Yeah. Just putting myself in the shoes of a patient to go and have an incisionless procedure to do that over something like, I don't know, like deep brain stimulation. So 
thinking about that, how would you determine if a patient's coming in with this tremor, how do you figure out if they should get DBS or if they should get the focused ultrasound? That is a very great question. And ultimately, it's a conversation I have with individual patients and their families on a one-on-one basis. Um, There are patients whom the tremors are so severe on both sides of the body that uh, after assessing that patient, I realize, and we both realize actually, that even if you do MRI-guided focus ultrasound and fix, quote-unquote, fix the tremors on one side, the quality of life is not necessarily going to change in a meaningful way because you still, the patient still has such severe tremors on the other side that we haven't moved the needle. In a case like that, because we can treat both sides with MRI-guided focus ultrasound, um, a deep brain stimulation procedure, although more invasive, is probably better suited if that patient is inclined to have some kind of intervention done. Uh, DBS, as the acronym goes, is approved for bilateral treatments. Uh, At our institution, we can do both sides of the brain at the same time with a single surgical procedure, uh, which is nowadays much less invasive than it was even five or 10 years ago. So that's a reasonable option for someone um, who really has extensive bilateral both sides of the body tremors, rather than someone who stands to gain significant improvement if we just fix one side. Okay. You said that one of the advantages outside of it being incisionless is that they come in, it's what about a two-hour procedure, and then they can go home and their symptoms have improved. Are there any other sort of either short-term or long-term side effects that patients can expect when they go and get the focus ultrasound treatment? That is a good point, and it's a great question because even though there's no incision and there's no anesthesia, technically speaking, and in truth, it's still a procedure because I am creating a very small albeit a couple millimeter big, a very small lesion in the brain. And uh, it's important to, to talk about what could go wrong and what can a patient expect. Um, in uh, MRI-guided focus ultrasound, enough patients have been treated now, both in and outside the United States, and followed for uh, within three and seven years that we have a reasonably good understanding of the what we call a complication profile. What things go wrong, what are the side effects and how often do we see them? And then do they go away or are they permanent? Uh, and what we've learned about MRI-guided focus ultrasound in general is that it's safe. Now, the big question, um, and I think the best way to answer your question is by going over what patients ask me most often first, and because I think it's a reflection of what's on someone's mind when they are considering this procedure. And that is, you know, are, is if someone gets MRI-guided focus ultrasound and has a small lesion uh, made in their brain, are they going to be the exact same person afterwards or will they be different? Will their personality change, their temperament change? Will they have slower thinking? Is their memory going to be different? Will they have the same vocabulary? Um, Or as some significant others ask, you know, will they still take the garbage out? So on and so forth. (laughs) The questions are endless. And so what we do know by having followed patients um, in, uh, in uh, studies uh, for months out, if not years, is that it is, as we expected, this treatment really targets the circuitry that has to do with tremor and nothing else. And so we do not see uh, changes in cognition, memory, personality, and so forth. So in, in the essence of someone who gets this procedure remains the same. So that's the good news. Now, We also have learned that when we do make the small lesion in the brain, because it's a lesion that's mediated by heat, so ultrasound beams 
they all focus in a one spot, create this lesion, which also generates some heat in that area of the brain. And as a result, we do see swelling of the brain around this lesion. That swelling can be minimal or it can be significant. And therefore, those areas of the brain around the lesion that swell stop working temporarily. And what we do see in, patient, in some patients after they undergo MRI-guided focus ultrasound is sometimes difficulties with gait and balance, such that patients have a hard time figuring out where their legs are underneath them, and they may have to hold onto walls or use a walker or have someone hold their hand. Sometimes patients report having numbness up in the exact same places that the tremors were, the arm or the corner of the mouth. And sometimes patients state that they lose a sense of taste and smell um, uh, after this procedure. Now, loss of taste and smell after MRI got a focus ultrasound in the very few patients that have reported this, not just in our group, but nationally, uh, has resolved. We do not, we are not aware of any patients who permanently had change or a loss of taste. So it appears to be completely related to that swelling around the brain, it goes away. The same can be said about numbness. The great majority, if not almost all patients who undergo uh, the procedure, the numbness and tingling, if they get it, is temporary and it goes away. There are a very, very small number of patients in the literature that have had permanent numbness and tingling in the earlier series. And our suspicion is that the whole, that the small lesion that was made may have creeped into the area that had to do with sensation. And that's why some patients have a permanent numbness and tingling feeling in some of the areas that previously had tremors. As far as balance um, and gait goes, walking and being, being able to know where you are uh, in a steady way, uh, that also tends to be short-lived. So, uh, most patients don't report any. Some patients report it for a few days, but we have had some patients who've had issues with gait and balance for up to three months, which have resolved subsequently. And so it's variable uh, from patient to patient. And it, I, we think it has to do with how much swelling the brain uh, gets afterwards. And it has to do with the, the amount of energy delivered and that specific patient's brain composition. What we do know is it's rare for any of these to be permanent. Uh, but there are some noticeable side effects uh, that, that, we do, or be, that we do warn patients about ahead of time. And do you manage those in any particular way, or is it just having someone, say, for the walking or the balance and gait things, just someone being close to them, or are there medications, or what are the interventions that you would use to help patients get through these short-term side effects? Because we are now more familiar with the side effect profile, we do take steps proactively. We request that if someone is going to have the procedure done, they must be accompanied by somebody when they come in and somebody has to take them home and be with them uh, for up to three days afterwards so that if they get up and they have poor balance, uh, someone can help them get around. We also give patients a um, short duration dose of steroids, which tend to sequester and, and quench the swelling in the brain. And we've seen significant uh, improvements in the in reduction of the patients who have side effects with steroids. And in patients who come and want to have MRI-guided focused ultrasound for tremors and who already have some poor balance uh, to begin with, uh, we prescribe a short course of physical therapy before the procedure so they can maximize 
their strength, their balance, and also get get paired with a therapist who knows what their balance issues are. And then what we do is after the treatment, um, while the tremors are better, we get them plugged right back into that same physical therapy, preferably with the same therapist, who can work with them and at, enhance and, and uh, accelerate the recovery of the balance after the procedure. I know you talked about some of the side effects with patients, most of them being short-lived. Can you talk about some of the more specific outcomes that you might look for, the data that maybe other referring physicians might care about or be interested in knowing about? Well, you know, looking at uh, the few publications now that have reported three-year um, and a more recent publication that has reported some of the seven-year outcomes, um, what's important to note is uh, what lingers. Um, because, you know, at three years and after, if a patient is reporting side effects from MRI guided focus ultrasound, it's very likely that that's going to remain permanent. And that was a big question for us to answer. And what we have noted in the, in the uh, published literature is that uh, residual side effects uh, that are present at six months usually tend to persist um, f- moving forward to three years and most likely at seven years from what we're seeing um, with very rare cases of them going away um, after six months. What we have also seen is by six months, what you see is what you get in terms of side effects. In other words, no patient has reported new uh side effects after six months of being out from being treated with MRI guided focus ultrasounds. So this tells us that um, there are, we do not have any indication that there's, that there are long-term consequences of MRI guided focus ultrasound, which is in contrast to some of the other related treatments, such as radiation therapy, whereby some of the side effects don't even start until months or years later. So it appears that what Whatever side effects we do see, if we see them, they are immediate after in the days and weeks. And if they get better within the first six months, they're unlikely to come back. Um, And what we have also learned are that the common side effects are, as we discussed, gait and balance issues, sensory changes on the treated side, uh, as well as some loss of taste and smell. In that order, the gait and balance uh, residual tends to be about 5% or so or less, uh, if you take into account all the patients that have been studied and published, and which includes some of the very, very early patients, and that number, the 5% side effect profile tends to remain uh, consistent and persistent at, at the three-year mark. The sensory changes by way of numbness tends to be around the same. Some studies quote as high as 10%, some 5%. Uh, but by the three-year mark, it tends to hover in the less than 10% range. Um, and quite frankly, many of the centers that are doing a large volume of focus ultrasound treatments, including ours, are not seeing um, a appreciable number of uh, numbness as a side effect. So it seems uh, as though there has been a learning curve and we are able to uh, successfully avoid that numbness side effect. I mean, my suspicion is that in the coming years, we'll see that side effect totally minimized, if not completely um, removed. And the loss of taste uh, tends to dissipate. There are very few, if any, patients at all at six months or at three years who have reported ongoing loss of taste or smell. Wow. 
Well, sounds promising for sure moving forward. And speaking of that, I know we talked about that there are some clinical trials looking at the use of this. So focus ultrasound could be used to treat tremor bilaterally. Are there any other future applications of the technology that, that are being looked into right now? So currently, the approach of MRI-guided focus ultrasound is being applied um, to first other movement disorders. So there are trials ongoing to see if it can be used to treat Parkinson's disease in general, not just the tremors, but also the stiffness and slowness symptoms that we see with Parkinson's disease. So the results of those clinical trials will be forthcoming in the next year or so and will help us determine whether this is another good indication. In essence, any disease in the brain whereby we know that the abnormal location is in a very discrete region and that location doesn't serve any other useful function can be targeted by MRI-guided focus ultrasound. So there are trials right now that are looking at possibly um, using MRI-guided focus ultrasound to ablate seizure foci, meaning locations in the brain that cause epilepsy. The results are pending. There is significant interest in trying to control patients who have chronic pain uh, in that is a result of an abnormal brain circuitry. These include cancer pain patients, uh, patients who have neuropathic pain, or patients who've had strokes and um, have abnormal pain sensations because of damage to the brain. Uh, so the results of this are also are forthcoming. And then there is a whole other avenue of using a morigative focus ultrasound to treat uh, abnormal growths, such as brain tumors. So MRI, this is a technology that creates lesions in the brain. So very small, uh, if you imagine very small tumors in very deep locations of the brain that are not accessible by surgery can potentially be treated by MRI-guided focus ultrasound. Yet another extremely promising and totally fascinating, uh, and this is the portion of, the, of this, we can totally geek out together on this one, um, of in the approach of using MRI-guided focus ultrasound is to do what we call disruption of blood-brain barrier. Now, what this means, and a big challenge to treating brain problems in the past has been that in our bodies, the brain is the only super protected organ. So when the, you know, the heart pumps the blood into all different organs of the body, the brain actually has a membrane around it, uh, and it has a very strong and selective barrier that doesn't allow anything that's in the blood to get in except for what the brain needs. For example, energy, oxygen. But as a result of that, many of the drugs that we, in, that we give for treatment of diseases never make it into the brain because they get selected and kicked back out by the blood-brain barrier. This creates a challenge for brain tumors because most chemotherapy drugs are not, we cannot penetrate them. Uh, penetrated brain, and so it's very difficult to treat brain tumors with chemotherapy successfully. Now, the reason I'm telling you this totally geeky and to some listeners boring explanation is because it has been shown that uh, focus ultrasound uh, at a specific energy level can temporarily disrupt the blood-brain barrier. So if you have a brain tumor somewhere, and if you apply focused ultrasound around area of the brain tumor, uh, there is promising data that shows temporarily the blood-brain barrier is disrupted, and so you can immediately inject whatever chemotherapy agent you want, 
and it hypothetically again it should make it into the tumor, which has uh, very exciting potential therapeutic benefits. So this area is exploding. There is a significant amount of research ongoing, and you know we we are all very excited to see what comes of it. Wow, I mean that's amazing. Absolutely, I concur. Not necessarily exciting yet, but for those of us who get excited by things like this, this is really as good as it gets. Yeah. Well, thank Dr. Sani. Thank you so much. This has been enlightening and informative and uh, appreciate your time on the show today. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Thank you.